life and entering into another episode of Joseph's life. Uh, it's been a great journey so far just to see the different episodes and what is going on. And today, as I was looking at Joseph's life, I, I, I remember the poem that many of us might be aware of. If you've been in Christ for any period of time, you might be aware uh, of the poem Footprints. And it's one that uh, it's gotten into, you know, it's, it's gone on for years and years. And uh, you might be familiar with it, you may not, but allow me to read it to you. Um, because it's inspired so many people. One night, I dreamed I was walking along the beach with the Lord. Many scenes from my life flashed across the sky. In each scene, I noticed footprints in the sand. Sometimes there were two sets of footprints. Other times, there was, on, there was one only. This bothered me because I noticed that during the low periods of my life, when I was suffering from anguish, sorrow, or defeat, I could see only one set of footprints. So I said to the Lord, You promised me, Lord, that if I followed you, you would walk with me always. But I have noticed that during the most trying periods of my life, there has only been one set of footprints in the sand. Why, when I needed you most, have you not been there for me? The Lord replied, The years when you have seen only one set of footprints, my child, is when I carried you. Why has that poem inspired so many people? Why has it gone on? Because it's given the one thing that each one of us longs for, hope. Hope. To know that God cares. Each of us has gone through a period of time in our life where we felt the sky was, or the ceiling was caving in. We felt that there was no one that cared. We felt that we were isolated and alone, misunderstood. Uh, We felt like we were outsiders. We wondered where God was in the middle of it all. But yet, through Joseph's life, we can see someone who struggled in many ways far worse than any of us could ever imagine. And yet, through that entire story, through the entire story of Joseph's life, and, and this episode in particular, we can see that God cares, that God loves That God is working. God may not work always in the way that we expect Him to work, but He's there and He's working and orchestrating His plan, touching our hearts, working in our lives. And that's what He's doing in yours. No matter what it is you're facing, that God is is nearby. God is there with you. As Francis Schaeffer, the great uh, theologian philosopher, once said that He is there and He's not silent. God is there. God does care. He cares intimately about the details of your life, just as he did with Joseph's. So today, what I'd like us to do is I'd like us to focus on this episode from Joseph's life and examine and see how God cares, how God is with us, that he is with us in the middle of our trials. And even when Joseph's being elevated, he's there with us in our triumphs. And there when Joseph's being tempted... He's with him in his temptations, and he's with us as well. So today, let's zoom in on this story to see what God has, to to draw out the details, to, to highlight and see how God cared for Joseph, and by doing so, how he we can see how he cares for us as well. So let's pray to ask God to bless our message time. Our Father and our God, we are grateful that you have given us your word, that it is your revelation unto us. 
And it is there to speak about who you are as well as about who we are. And through this episode, Lord, that you have given us, this life of Joseph, you see your hand, your fingerprints all over Joseph's life. Even though he may not have felt your closeness, you were there. And you were in the middle and right with him in his sufferings. And Lord, we know that you are with us as well. That you have promised in your word to never leave us nor forsake us, that you will be with us always, even unto the end of the age. So Lord, draw our hearts unto yourself. Help us to see how much you care and how we can truly walk and trust in you. We pray your blessing on our time now in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's pick off where, uh, pick up where we left off last week. Uh, we saw the, the culmination of his brother's envy, if you remember. Uh, they sold him into slavery to the Ishmaelites. So we, we pick that up in, in verse 1. I mean, uh, and we can see uh, in many ways Joseph is shell-shocked. He's almost PTSD, wondering what's going on, what's going on around him. Um, he's just been betrayed by those who were supposed to love him. He's with these people speaking a language he doesn't understand, not exactly knowing where he's going, uh, being just hemmed in all around. And what is going through his mind what is what's happening? So we begin in verse 1. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt and to Potiphar. Now, while that's true of it geographically, it's also seeing what's going on to him uh, it, it just as a, as a person. And in many ways, metaphorically, he's going down as well. That he is going to be, uh, he, he is struggling. He has been brought down low. He was at a position of greatness as the uh, heir apparent to the tribe. And now he is going into slavery. Joseph had been brought down to Egypt and Potiphar an officer of Pharaoh, or uh, one of his guards, captain of the guard, kind of his secret service, if you will, an Egyptian, had, brought, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. And this is the part that we all need to underline. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. And he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. So what's the first point that we need to see here is that God is with us just as He was with Joseph in our trials. He is with us in our trials. God is with us when we seemingly find ourselves overwhelmed, forgotten, overlooked. He is with, uh, with us when we've been heartbroken. Think about the emotions that Joseph was going through. I don't know if you've ever been through an adrenaline-packed situation where you've been confronted with a moment. Uh, maybe someone got really violent around you and your adrenaline's running and your mind is racing and you're not necessarily thinking clearly. And, and, and a few minutes later, you start to calm down. You start thinking through what just happened. I don't know if you've ever been through that. If you've ever been through a car accident... And you feel that, that the car get hit and your heart's just racing and you're, you're there going, what's going on? Am I okay? Is everything, your mind is just running. And you're wondering with Joseph what was going on with him. I mean, last week we saw him that he was in the pit and there was no water. And he was fearful. And he's a 17-year-old kid and he's got these big brothers. And they, you know, they strip him down, they throw him down in there. And you, and you wonder if he's going, hey guys, hey, enough of this. Stop playing around, guys. And there's this fear that's going over him. And then to have them uh, talk about selling him into slavery and then have them pull him out of the pit and tie him up. And, and initially he's probably like, yeah, good joke, guys. Good joke. Wait, no, why are you tying me up, guys? 
hey, come on, stop. Come on. Who, wait, who are these guys? Who, wh- where am I going? Hey, 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 this isn't funny anymore. And they take him off into slavery. And, and, he, and he's just wondering, what happened? Is this real? Where, where am I going? What's, go- what's going on? I don't know what, what they're saying. This fear that just would overtake him. And he's heartbroken. He's like, wait a minute, it was my brother's. It was my, my brothers, the, the guys, I mean, yeah, we've had issues as siblings, but come on, this is the ones that are supposed to love me the most. He's, he's heartbroken, like he was betrayed. And yet God was with him in the middle of all of that. And he's walking. I mean, I can't imagine what was running through Joseph's mind as he walked those 200 miles to Egypt in shackles, rehearsing in his mind what just had happened, wondering how he got there. He had just had this beautiful coat. He'd been the future leader of the tribe, but now he's a slave, not knowing what was going on, what they were saying, where really they were going. And many of us can't even begin to understand, but we, also, we may not understand Joseph's broken heart, but we understand our own. Wondering where God was in the middle of your situation. I mean, what are you going through? Or what have you gone through? Where you wondered, where was God in the middle of it? Where was God? Did you, I mean, have you been betrayed, hurt by someone whom you trusted that stabbed you in the back? Know that God is with you. He's not only with those who are heartbroken, but he's also with Joseph when he's harassed or when we've been harassed. See, being a slave, he had no rights. He was someone else's property. He was put down probably because of his ethnicity or the fact that he couldn't speak Egyptian. How many of us have felt that way before? I know in my small group this past week, we have some people that have come from different cultures, and they have some fantastic and phenomenal insights into what was going on in Joseph's mind, things that I couldn't even begin to understand. And one of the, the young ladies that was in my group who comes from a background of a different culture, she said, I came in junior high, and I came into the school, and I had no idea what was being said around me. And, and the classmates around were making fun of me all the time, and I couldn't understand. I didn't know what the teacher was saying. I didn't know what was going on. And even now, my English isn't great, and her English was very good. She goes, but I hate going to the grocery store or going to the doctor because they, they treat me like I'm second class, that I don't understand because I can't speak as well as they do. And there's this feeling of harassment. I mean, this is a, a young mother who doesn't even want to go to the doctor with her child because she's afraid of how the doctor's going to talk to her. Or go to the grocery store. I mean, now multiply this. What it was like being a slave and harassed at what he was feeling. And yet God is with him through that. He's with him when he's harassed. He's also with him and he's with us when we've been humiliated. Now Joseph, look back at verse 1 again, had been brought down to Egypt. And Potiphar, an officer of of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites. He was a piece of property. He was being looked over. They're treating him like he's cattle. He's humiliated. I mean, quite possibly stripped naked. A 17-year-old boy just standing out there with shackles on, trying to cover himself up. It's humiliating experience. He has no rights. He has no dignity. And yet he's completely humiliated. And yet God is still with him. Many of us would think that God had abandoned us. But yet God is with him in the middle of his humiliation. That's an incredible thing. And I was, I was walking through this passage and the, the, the story that came to my mind was the story of the woman caught in the act of adultery in John chapter 8. That story is an amazing, amazing story. This is a woman who had known humiliation. 
We know that the, the religious leaders were finding a way to trap Jesus. So they knew about this woman who was in the act or process of adultery. You don't know why. She could have been with one of the religious leaders. Because see, the young man, the man's not a part of the, brought out in the, in the episode, only the woman is. Because they didn't care really about justice. They cared about bringing Jesus down. So they bring the situation before Jesus. Either he would fulfill the law or he would be a friend of sinners, but they didn't think he could do both. So the, the, the uh, punishment for adultery was stoning. And they bring this woman out who was caught in the act. And I'm sure that they grabbed this woman. She could have been probably half-clothed maybe not have any garments, brought out now, knowing the punishment that she was about to go through, that it was death. Fear, eyes racing, adrenaline running, trying to cover herself up, seeing all of her friends, those who are in the community, looking at her, feeling the shame and the humiliation thrown down and right in front of Jesus, a religious teacher who many had known, feeling that greater shame, I mean, you wonder, were her parents there? Were, were her aunt and uncles, maybe her grandparents were there? I mean, the whole community is there to see this humiliation of this woman. She is guilty, caught in the act. And so they cast her down, and they bring her right before Jesus. And they say, the law says that we are to stone such a one. What do you say? And they're kind of snickering to themselves because they, they knew what they were there for. It wasn't for justice. They were trying to trick Jesus. And Jesus Neil stoops down and he starts to write something in the sand. And they pester him. They want an answer. And Jesus stands up and he, get, he says, let he who has no sin cast the first stone. He does something amazing. He walks that fine line, that tightrope, where he fulfills the law and yet shows mercy at the same time. And, it, and the text is so wonderful in that it says one by one, starting with the older first, they dropped their stones because they knew their hearts. Jesus had, had shot an arrow that went, I mean, penetrated right at their heart. And then one by one, they went away. And you can see the woman still racing, adrenaline racing, I mean, running. She's just right there, kneeling down, still trying to cover herself up, looking, eyes darting back and forth. Where, when's that first stone going to come? When, is it gonna, when am I going to feel it hit my body? How am I going to defend myself? And then to hear the stones hit the ground one by one and to gradually look up and see where the feeling of relief, the feeling of, 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 of possibly surviving this ordeal. And then Jesus looks up at her and he says, Woman, where are those that are there to condemn you? No one, Lord, neither do I. Go and sin no more. See, God was with her in her humiliation. Even when we are suffering the consequences for our actions, God is there. Even when we are humiliated, shameful because of what our sins have done and where they have led us, God is there. God is there in our humiliation. God cares about you in your humiliation. God cares. He loves you that much. He is there in the midst of our humiliation. He is there for the harassed, and and he is also there when we've been hedged in. When we've been hedged in. See, Joseph is sold off to Potiphar, captain of the Egyptian military guard. He can't go anywhere he pleases or do whatever he wants. He's this man's property. He is hedged in, trapped in a house. 
He wouldn't be ruling the tribe. Gone were the days where he could go where he wanted to. Gone were the days where he could walk out in the field and, and just see the flocks. Gone were the days where he can just mill back and forth with the tents and his family and see his brothers and uh, all of those in his father's house. He was trapped and he couldn't escape. Forced to learn a new language, customs, household responsibilities. Forced to navigate this new world he was living in. Many of us feel hedged in, although not quite like Joseph. We might feel hedged in with our lives, our spouse, our job, children, responsibilities. Life is not where we thought we would be. But God is there with us. The dreams we had were conquered by the dreary day-to-day. We have to learn to trust in God in that time when we find ourselves where we didn't want to be. I was reading in the book of Jeremiah yesterday where the Israelites were shell-shocked after Jerusalem had been conquered. Many of the people were sent into exile with only a few left behind, with a, a puppet governor in place who had just been, actually just been assassinated, and the people were scared because they were afraid that the Babylonian king would come back. So they, this remnant goes to Jeremiah and they say to him, Jeremiah, we need a word from the Lord. What are we supposed to do? We're a small group of people. I mean, our, our whole land was just desolated. Half our family and friends were taken off the land. And, and this guy was just killed. And they're going to blame us for it. They're going to take us out. What are we supposed to do? And we want to know, Jeremiah, what are we supposed to do? And Jeremiah's like, you really don't want to know. You don't really want to know. You're just like your fathers. They didn't want to know. I told them what God wanted them to do. And they refused to listen to what God wanted them to do. And they said, no. So they make this solemn oath before God. They say, we will do whatever you tell us to do. So three days goes by. Jeremiah has God speak to him when he comes back. And God says, stay here. Dwell in the land. You will be safe. The king, the king will not come against you. And they said, you're a liar. Because see, you know why? They already had it in their mind to go to Egypt. They wanted God's word to agree with their plan. They wanted to bend God's plan, make it to fit their own plan. Even though they decreed a solemn oath, hey, God, we'll do whatever you want. And when God says, I want you to do this, they went, no, 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 no. You're a liar, Jeremiah. We're not going to go with you. Many of us are like that. We say to God, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I want you to stay in your marriage and stay in your job and keep doing. No, God, that's not what I want to do. We do that. We think all the time, this is not what God has. It is. Sometimes God hedges us in. That enables us to go through tragedies and sufferings because he's working something in us that's greater than our temporary happiness. He's trying to do something greater. But keeping us in that place, he is there for us when we are hedged in. He's also there and he also wants us to trust in him when the truth has been hijacked. When the truth has been hijacked. This is one of the toughest places to be. See, we know the story of Joseph. Potiphar's wife was attracted to Joseph. He was handsome for him. He's good-looking, well-built. And she sought to seduce him, but he refused her advances. Yet she had to have him. She, She looked for ways. She cleared out the house, grabbed his garment, and begged him to sleep with her. He ran out of the house, leaving his garment in her hand. Angered at being spurned, she made up a lie that he had tried to take advantage or rape her. Angered, Potiphar had him jailed. We don't know if Joseph protested or if he kept his mouth shut, but we do know that it was the word of a slave against the wife of the captain of the guard, whatever it might have been. Her word would win. The truth had been hijacked. 
Have you ever had the truth hijacked in your life? When people made up stuff about you that weren't true? Maybe it was being spoken about you or rumors online were going back and forth. Maybe it was colleagues trying to stab you in the back, trying to make up lies to bring you down. Maybe it was a family member, a friend. Maybe even in church, people were saying false truths about you. I mean, what do you do then? See, that's, that's one of the things I hate about this election that's going on right now. I am so tired of seeing election. I'm so tired of hearing about the election. And what I'm tired of are the spin doctors. Do you know what's sacrificed in the middle of all this? Truth. Truth. Everyone has their their gunslinger that spins the truth this way and spins the truth that way, and someone posts an article this and posts the article that, and they're going back and forth, and, and you wonder, where is the truth in all of this? Where is truth in the middle of all this? And I I wonder if Joseph was like, you know, God, I've honored you. I've tried to stay true to you. And here's this woman who falsely accused me. And I I kept myself morally pure away from this woman. And now I'm in prison and she's eating bonbons. What's going on here? And yet he trusts in the Lord, even when the truth had been hijacked. Why? Because Joseph knew one truth. And it's, it's it's a... and it's that, uh, the truth that Alexander Solzhenitsyn said in his Nobel uh, Prize-winning speech on, when he, re- he received the Nobel Prize on literature. He said, one word of truth will outrule the whole world. One word of truth will outweigh the whole world. Because see, truth is what will endure, and truth is what God sees. Man might believe lies, but God sees. God knows what is going on. And he will honor that truth. In this life and the next, he will do it. And we have to know that when people, when truth is hijacked, when rumors and accusations fly about us, when our reputations seem to be lost, that you have to be content with God's view of you. And that fact will be your anchor in the middle of the storm. Not what other people think, what God thinks. Because at the end of time, that's all that matters. See, God cares when the truth has been hijacked and when we are held captive. We are held captive. Joseph lands up in prison. He was more than hedged in now. He was trapped. Sometimes we might find ourselves trapped again, not like Joseph. We might be victims of decisions that were not ours, but God cares through us in the middle of it. We may not be trapped physically, but we may be trapped spiritually, emotionally. Some of us are trapped right now by our sin or the sins of those that were done to us. Some of us are trapped by our addictions, whether it's drugs, alcohol, pornography. And you might be, you are terrified of being found out. You're so afraid that people will know. See, God is in the middle of that, and He wants to break those chains. God knows what it's like to suffer. God knows what it's like to be abused. Some of you are victims of abuse. If statistics are right, then I'd say almost a quarter of the people in this room have been abused by a relative or a person in authority. We often, we talk, in, in, we talk about how God forgives us for our sin, but rarely do we hear about how God is with us when we've been sinned against. But here we see a story of a man who was sinned against, that he has been abused. And we see God himself offering up Jesus, who's abused. He has been uh, he has been the victim of others' choices. There are many of those in this room that are, have been hurt and abused. 
know this, that God cares for you in the middle of it. God's not stopped caring. God, offer, God wants to offer you healing. And not forgiveness, I mean forgiveness, but not that you need to be forgiven, but giving you the power to forgive others, which is a powerful thing. The power to forgive other people because God forgives us and God gives us the power then to forgive other people because we have been forgiven. When we're held captive, I mean, if you think about it, Jesus was the, the greatest one who was held captive, nailed to a cross, unable to move or to go anywhere. He knows what it's like to be abused, to suffer, and yet he offers us his freedom. He offers us the power of forgiveness, the power to forgive other people. We can forgive them because we know that our God and God is bigger. We can forgive because we know that he can take those scars and pains that we felt because he has felt them too. He offers us freedom through faith in himself so that we will not be held captive anymore. Now, we've seen how God is there with us in our trials, but he's also there with us in our triumphs. Our triumphs. God wasn't only with Joseph when he was struggling. Think about it. Why didn't the brothers kill him? Why didn't Potiphar's wife falsely, when, when she falsely accused him, why wasn't he not killed? God had preserved him. See, God, prom- God is there and God shows us that he protects us. He protects us. See, he protected Joseph. He allowed Joseph to go through this tremendous evil but not die. He allowed Jeremiah to be rejected by almost everyone he encountered. He allowed Job to suffer unimaginably. He ordained Jesus to die on the cross, and he was still protected. See, sometimes people are preserved physically, but always spiritually when we trust in him. God protects us. Nothing can hurt us. As one missionary said to his persecutors, you can kill us, but you can't hurt us. What a perspective. It's one that I hope that I can have. Because I think many of us have a hard time with that. We don't want to hurt physically or emotionally. I mean, we can't even think about physically, emotionally, being rejected, being humiliated. But see, God is there. He protects us. He also petitions for us. He's behind the scenes working on our behalf, orchestrating circumstances in ways that we cannot see. See, with Joseph, he was the one that was even though he had put all this together. Remember, he had given Joseph a dream of his brothers bowing down. He knew the end result from the very beginning. He was working behind. He was promoting. He was leading Joseph. And we will see Joseph at the end of this entire story where his, jo- his brothers are bowing down before him. And he says, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. God was working, God was advocating on Joseph's behalf. He was leading Joseph to a place so that he could preserve his people. And God is orchestrating the circumstances of your life carefully in in ways that you can't even begin to imagine. He is leading, he is directing, he might allow you to suffer, but he is using your circumstances and your life, and he is working on your behalf. He is working on Joseph's behalf to promote him, to get him favor in the sight of Potiphar, to get him favor later on in the sight of the prison guard and in Pharaoh. He is the one that is petitioning on his behalf, that is advocating for him. He is petitioning for us. And we also have to see that he is the one who prospers us. God ultimately is the one who prospers and makes him, if you notice in the text, a successful man. He makes him a successful man. And it's pretty incredible. If you look at the text, verse 3, 
His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. That's the petitioning him. But he's also to succeed in his hands. That's the prospering. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him and made him overseer. And he, Potiphar, had made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in, jo- in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food that he ate. God was the one that was prospering Joseph. God is the one who gave, gave us the ability to have and make wealth, who's advocating for us and going on our behalf. But he is the one that is enabling us to be successful, to have things, to have abilities. We forget that. God was with Joseph and, and made him into a successful man, as our text tells us. He made him prosperous. He ended up being very good at his job. And he's representative of the truth in Proverbs chapter 22. In Proverbs chapter 22. Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. This is a man that was upstanding in his work. That God was working on his behalf. God is the one who blessed Job with more at the end of his life than he had at the beginning. God may allow you to go down, but he will also bring you up, provided you trust in him. See, that's why we ask people, and we have these times where we share about being generous. And we ask people to be generous, to trust in God with their giving. Why? Because that is one of the means that we show our trust in him, knowing that it is he that ultimately is the one who prospers us. That's why in Malachi chapter 3, we read this as God was speaking to the nation of Israel. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God, yet you are robbing me. You're not honoring me. You're not trusting in me. You're not giving me what I deserve. And show that I am the Lord and that I am the one who advocates on your behalf. How have we robbed you? He says, in your tithes and your contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test. Trust in me with what I have blessed you with. I'm the one that has prospered you. It is me that has done it. I want you to to show that that you're trusting in me, and I'm going to trust, I'm going to bless you because of that. Because it's a way of trusting, showing our faith in God. Thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I am the one that will prosper. I will rebuke the devourer of you for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight says the Lord of hosts. Why? God is the one that's prospering. God is the one that's prospering Joseph, and he's the one that will prosper us as well. Not just talking about materially here. That aspect is is monetarily. But there is the idea that God will advocate. God will be there. He will prosper us, grant us to be good at our jobs, and our our employers to see that and want to, to give us more and trust more to us. So God is there for us in our trials. He's there for us in our triumphs. And he's also there for us in our temptations. He's there for us in our temptations. Notice verse 10. Joseph is dealing with Potiphar's wife, and it says here in the text, And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her. 
to lie beside her or be with her. Day after day she tried. And, 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 and let's, let's think about this for a moment. It says day after day. Let's try to put a little bit more uh, flesh on this, if you will. She's thinking of Joseph. She's trying to figure out how to seduce him. So she's wanting to make herself appealing. She's trying different makeup, different cosmetics, different hairstyles, different outfits. She's trying on, looking in the mirror, trying to figure out day after day, how can I get along with him? How can I be with him? How can I talk to him? Maybe he's into Egyptian sports. Or maybe he's been watching the, the Hieroglyphics channel or wh- whatever it might be. And she's trying to find ways. And she's doing it day after day. And, and then listen, listen else, look, look at else at what it says in verse 10. It says, she spoke to Joseph day after day. He would not listen to her to lie beside her. Hey, Joseph, I got a scratch. Can you just scratch that right there? Maybe a little back rub. How about a back rub? Just a little bit right there. I'm so tense. Can you rub my back? And he's a slave. He's like, sure. Hey, can you just lie down with me for a minute? Or maybe she's coming in crying. Potiphar was so mean to me. And she just puts her head on his chest. And, you know, wanting his arms to go around her. Or maybe just hold her for a minute. Whatever it might be. I mean, she's, she's pulling out the full arsenal of, of seduction right here. She's pulling it out. And, and he says he's not going to listen to her, to lay beside her, or be with her. Now, Joseph was not dumb. I know someone I was talking about as we really jumped into this initially in our small group, they felt that Joseph was kind of a Forrest Gump character. He said, no, this is a smart man. He becomes the prime minister of all of Egypt. This is not a dumb man. This is a smart man. And he could see the situation going on around him clearly. See, God is with us in our temptations and enables us to see our situations clearly. That's what you need to write down. Our situation is clearly. Now, what do I mean by that? We have a tendency to lie to ourselves and to miss the red flags that come up. When they're really there, but we don't want to see them, we want what we want. And so here he's saying, Joseph sees what's going on. He sees she's getting closer. She sees, he sees how the conversation's going and what she's doing. And he's saying, no, he, he refused to listen to her. He refuses to be around her. He's finding ways to get out of the room, to get out of the situation, because he sees what's going on. Now, for us, we need to be able to see our situations clearly, because the reality is, is many of us feign, I mean, we, we try to be, we think, or we try to play naive. We try to rationalize our sin, or I, I can handle this, or uh, I can go to this website and not look, or just one time isn't going to hurt anything. A little conversation isn't that bad. Uh, I, I mean, I had a situation that I was dealing with recently where someone was texting back and forth, and, and this guy was texting this girl, and, and uh, the girl was trying to figure out how to respond, and, and uh, this guy had a girlfriend, and uh, and he's texting her, and really kind of bring her in, and she was developing feelings for this guy, and she goes, how do I respond to him? And she goes, I don't want to talk to him, and I don't want to say, hey, you know, you got this girl, and, and so she finally does. She goes, you have this girl, and I don't want to talk to you, and he goes, can I talk to one of my friends? I'm like, this guy's a playa. That's what he is. So I said, you need to respond in this way and say, hey, I've known girls that don't like guys, I mean, other girls talking to their guys, so I'm just going to leave you be, and he just totally pulled away from her. Because why? Because she basically exposed what was going on in him because he was playing it. He is laying it out. He's trying to con her and bring her along. He said, can't I just talk to my friend? Oh, you're making a big deal of this. It's not that big. Hey, girl. (laughs) 
And it's a big deal. He's, he's playing. And see, that, that's what we miss. We miss the red flags. And someone who's been around, and, and I was talking to this woman, I was like, hey, he's, he's laying you out. He's buttering you up. He wants to have you over here, and he wants to have her over here. He wants to keep all these girls in play. But see, we can see the situation clearly, and God is with us to help us see what's going on and to bring others around us that we can see what's going on, to see our situations clearly that we might avoid sin. That's the first thing. Next is this. We can see through Joseph that sin is serious. Sin is serious. I mean, look how far, how willing Joseph was to get away from this. And not even enter into it. He, I mean, temptation was there. But he saw that sin is serious. He even says so. And look at verse 9. He's talking to, to Potiphar's wife and he says, He is not greater in this house than I am. There's no one greater than I am. Nor has he kept anything from me except you because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness? Not have a little struggle. Not have a little fling. This is great wickedness, wickedness, and sin against God. Look how far he was willing to go. Look how he understood sin is serious. And that goes against our culture today, which says, hey, no big deal. No big deal. It's just, it's just this. It's just, you know, it's just one time. I mean, he, he, she could just say, hey, it's just sex. Why do you make it such a big deal of this? It's just that. Uh, it's a big deal. He says, it is great wickedness and a sin against God. Sin is serious. It's a big deal. Sin is so serious that God the Father sent his son to die to pay the price for it so we wouldn't be enslaved to it, not continue any longer with it. So serious, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 29 through 30, Jesus said this, If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. Now, he's using hyperbole, intentional overstatement to get his point. He's not saying that you need to go out and maim yourself, but he is saying that you need to be serious in dealing with sin in your life. Go tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. Sin is like gangrene. We don't really see much gangrene in our world today. If you ever watch any special in the Civil War, though, you see that gangrene was deadly. It got in a wound. What do they do? They have these guys with, with uh, hacksaws, and they're cutting off limbs. Why? Because that gangrene would come in, and they would kill the whole body. He, that's what Jesus is basically saying here. If it's gangrene, sin is gangrene, it's going to destroy your soul. Cut it off. Get rid of it. Fight it that much. Be willing to be a cripple rather than to have two legs and go into hell. It's going to kill you. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Sin is serious. I can't believe how many Christians don't think of that. They think, hey, a little nudity or blasphemy on TV, it's okay. Or or a little porn, that's not a big deal. It's not hurting anybody. That's not true. You believe the lie. Oh, it's not that big a deal. You wonder if Eve... When she looked, ah, it's just a bite of fruit. That's a big deal. Why? Because it's who it's against. It's who it's against. It's against God. We see that sin is serious. Another thing we see through this interaction with Joseph is that marriage is also sacred. Marriage is sacred. 
Joseph knew that no one else was to share the marriage bed. It was meant for a husband and his wife alone. Joseph knew it. Look at verse 8. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. He's put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. That can't be shared. You have to share your spouse. You have to bring something in. We're to keep the marriage bed pure. Marriage is holy, meant to be between a husband and a wife. There's a sacred union, a sacred union that takes place when a husband and wife are united in holy matrimony. A mingling of souls that exists between the masculine and the feminine. It is sacred. Joseph knew that and honored it. We have to honor marriage. It is holy. Something that God himself created that man is not permitted to change, nor can be changed. We may create laws that enable alternative forms to creep in, but that does not change God's decree. It only hurts those involved in it or those who see it and think it's normal, and then they will hurt themselves by entering in. And this goes beyond the current marriage debate, what's going on with alternative forms of marriage to divorce itself, living together, and everything else. Marriage must be put back and viewed as sacred. Judgment is coming to us after all. And this is one of the reasons why I fully believe that judgment's coming on the United States of America for many different reasons. Uh, I do think that there are those who love the Lord and are following through, but when I see just this continued thumbing and shaking their fist at God, saying this is what we don't want this from you, God, it's a matter of time. I mean, God does judge nations. You see him judge the nation of Israel, uh, kingdom of Judah. He judges Moab. He judges Philistia. He judges all these surrounding nations who were not not Jewish at the time, but he's still judging them. He's going to judge us. It's a matter of time. I just pray that we remain faithful in the middle of it. We see marriage as sacred. Lastly, we can see that God cares about us and that he gives or he will give us a sure way out from our temptation. He will give us a sure way out. It is never hopeless. We do not have to sin. I hear so many people say, well, I I had to. No, you didn't. If you have the Spirit of God within you, you have a gift called self-control. Now, you're not to tempt God and, and willingly put yourself into situations where you could sin. But you need to see and understand that He will give us a sure way out from our temptation. That's why we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. It's a promise that's laid out for us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape. He'll give you that. Provide that way of escape. You don't have to do it. That you may be able to endure it. God has promised to give you a way out. You could be like Joseph. Joseph didn't have to stop and think about it. He didn't debate. He didn't have a conversation with her about it. I mean, he, he, he didn't have to stop and go, you know, I really don't want to sin right now. Or let's talk about this. He just went, ah! And he, he pulled away from her. She's pulling his coat leaves his jacket behind. Don't wait around. Don't try to rationalize it. Just get up and walk out of the room, no matter what's going on. doesn't matter what people are going to think about you. Because you know what? It ultimately matters what God thinks about you first. What God thinks about you first. 
there have been times where I've been in, in situations of temptation. I mean, I've been in my times of situation, uh, temptation where I've failed. But there are times where I remember being in times of situation right before me, and it might have just been me and this other person. And I got, I got up, and I went, I have to go. And they said, where are you going? Hey, we're going to hang out. I'm, Bye. Let's walk out the door. They're like, man, he's weird. I'm okay with that because I know that God is pleased. God will give you a way out from your temptation. And you might need to enlist other people to help you in that, to help you be accountable, uh, to open up to you to know what, I mean, you need to open up to about your struggles and what you're dealing with, and they can help you avoid temptation. That's what we need to do and enlist other people. See, God has given us these tools. Why? Because he cares for you. He loves you. He is there for you in your trials, your triumphs and temptations. Ultimately, he's there because of Jesus Christ. God cares for us so much that he gave his son, Jesus, to die for you. He paid the price for your sins. Stood in your place, taking God's wrath that was meant for you. And his resurrection showed that the price not only had been paid, but that, that was, there was freedom and new life. It vindicated every promise he has made within his word. But we must believe. A gift needs to be received, and salvation is that gift. We cannot be saved from God's wrath or from our sins and all of the the wages that go with Him if we do not receive the gift. It can't be mitigated or removed by baptism or by some righteous act. It can only come through faith in Christ. Believe that Jesus is the Lord and Savior of the world and that He rose from the dead, and you will be saved. Let's close our message time with prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, you have called us unto yourself and you have shown us within your word that you care for us. No matter what we're going through, just as no matter what Joseph was going through, that you cared for him, that you loved him. Lord, we know that you love us with an everlasting love. And yet, Lord, we know that you showed your supreme act of love by giving your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins, that all who might believe in him might have eternal life. Lord, I do pray for those that are here today that do not yet know you, have not yet received you as Lord and Savior, that they might believe and receive, repent of their sins, turn from their sins to the risen Savior. And they will find forgiveness. They will find freedom. And they will find that you have been there with them the entire time, calling individuals to yourself, showing the depth of your love, that you weren't willing to abandon them, that you love them in the middle of their trials, in the middle of their triumphs, in the middle of their temptations. Lord, use us, grow us, And for those that do know you and, Lord, have found themselves in a uh, situation where they've given themselves over to sin and dealing with their guilt and shame, Lord, I pray that they might receive the forgiveness of sins and the promise you've laid out within your word that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And, Lord, remind them of the truth of Romans 8.1, that therefore there is now no condemnation for those who in Christ Jesus, that you have set us free. We don't have to continue on in sin any longer. Lord, may the power of your resurrection, or that resurrection power be made available and seen through us to help us to say no to sin and yes to righteousness as we learn what it means to bask and to appropriate the grace of God in our lives. Because we know that where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Lord, let us not be imprisoned or trapped by these shackles of sin, but may we truly... uh, Find the chains cut because of Christ as we continue to trust and walk in Him. Bless us, use us, grow us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.